Welcome to Thriving Through Menopause. I'm your host, Clarissa Christensen, an international menopause expert, author, and speaker. I help women go from feeling uncertain, uncomfortable, and struggling to experiencing a new sense of confidence, freedom, and vitality. My own story mirrors that of thousands of women that I have connected with through writing my book, speaking engagements, and coaching. Like you, I felt unprepared, unsupported, and at times dismissed by family, employers, and even doctors. That's why I created this podcast as a place of advocacy, offering facts, resources, and a community where you can become more empowered to take control of your menopause journey. Join us each week as we dive into honest, open, raw conversations on the topics that matter deeply to menopausal midlife women. From our changing bodies to our relationships, to dealing with menopause and aging at work and in society. My mission is to help you to tap into our collective wisdom so you can emerge more powerful, wiser, not just older, thriving and ready to embrace wholeheartedly the next chapter in your life. So are you a people pleaser? Do you put everybody else first, overgiving and maybe not standing up and saying, I need, or even I want. Today's guest talks a lot about this and about her own journey to really becoming this new powerful woman. And she's Julie Scott. She is a coach, a life coach based in California in Palm Springs. And I'm delighted that she's here to share a remarkable journey and her passion for working with women. Welcome to the show, Judy. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm delighted to be here. I'm delighted to have you here. And I absolutely loved when you reached out to me and said, I've got a great story. And then you shared the story. It was like, wow, you have to come on the podcast and share this first and foremost, because it's inspirational. But Julie, talk about the journey to the big event you did and how that changed your life. Sure, sure. It's funny because you know you don't you don't really know what you don't know until you look back and trace back all the places in your life that created the person that you are right now. And I had the opportunity to do that when I sat down a few years back and wrote a book about my own journey, and that was really what helped me put all the pieces together most recently. But yeah, you know, I grew I grew up in a in a good home. I had you know three older sisters, a supportive, loving family, and you know I didn't realize that. All those years as a child doing what I was told to do to, you know, to stay out of trouble, to be a good girl, were kind of the foundations of my becoming a people pleaser. I like to call myself a recovering people pleaser now because I think I'm still always learning to let go of that pattern in my life. But I think as a child, you learn how to become a people pleaser by just doing what you're told to do, especially if it's something you don't want to do, but you do it so that you can be loved, you can belong, you know, that primal instinct of wanting to belong and be loved and liked and accepted. So I think I was just one of those people that carried that through my as a young woman and you know, through college and into my young adult life and you know well into my 30s and early 40s so it wasn't really until i was at a point in my life where for you know for years i was doing everything i was told to do i was doing everything i was supposed to do 
everything I was expected to do. And, you know, I checked all the boxes. You know, I did what my parents wanted me to do. I went to college. I met a, got out of college, got a job, met a man, got married, bought a house. You know, the whole, you just, you don't realize how so much of your life is just, you know, you're doing just whatever the next thing is like on autopilot. That's really what I felt like I was doing for so many years, just living life on autopilot, just doing whatever's next. And it was funny because it wasn't until it was, it was right around my late thirties or early forties that I looked around my life and I was just so disappointed and just thinking, I remember thinking very clearly, is this all there is? It's like, is this it? And I, you know, I struggled with feeling bad of, you know, feeling guilty that I wasn't satisfied, feeling guilty that I wasn't grateful for what I had because I never really had anything bad happen in my life. But all these years of just doing what everyone else wanted me to do and not really checking in with what I wanted to do, I lost myself. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a very familiar story, isn't it? With Jenny, with so many women that it's not like there's something wrong. We haven't had big dramas, maybe. Life has gone pretty much as we would expected it to, to sort of plan. And yet we're left with this feeling, like you said, is that it? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and, and on top of all of that, I mean, I had other things that were running me too. I had low, you know, self-esteem, which is kind of part of being a people pleaser. You don't think enough of yourself or what, you know, you deserve or want or need in life. So that kind of leads into having low self-confidence, low self-esteem. I have, you know, a lot of issues, body image issues on top of everything else that I was going, had going on in my life. And as I, you know, I'm a pretty tall woman and I've always been what they, you know, I've been told I'm a big, from a very young age, you're a big girl. And so that to me meant fat, right? So, you know, so that, you know, that kind of, set me up to not love my body. And so that I carried that through. And I think that's another very common thing amongst women that they don't love their bodies at all. All they do is find fault with it. And so it, like I said, it was that time when I looked around my life thinking, is this all there is that I you know, realized that I was in a marriage that I was not happy in. I was in a working a job that I was, you know, very unhappy in doing work that was very unfulfilling to me. And living in a city, a congested, busy city that I longed to leave. And just everywhere in my life, I'm like, ah. But, you know, then that that feeling of, oh, God, I'm trapped. You know, how do I get out of this? And what will people think of me more than anything else, I think is another thing that kept me trapped. So really the thing that something had to give in my life because I was just so not where I wanted to be. And when my marriage fell apart, that was like, okay, <laughs> this is happening. <laughs> this is happening. Yeah, I actually had an affair. So that made me feel even more guilty and bad about myself, you know, because who I thought, who am I? This is not who I am. So that's when I started digging in the self-help section of bookstores back when we used to have a lot of bookstores. Looking back through, and I remember I picked up a book by Louise Hay called You Can Heal Your Life. Oh, yes. What a wonderful book that is. Oh, mind-blowing. It is. And one thing I love about that book is that you can just read a few paragraphs of it because it's kind of set up in little vignette stories, little tiny chunks of goodness. 
And I would read a little bit of that book every night before I went to bed. I would cry myself to sleep and I would wake up in the morning with just a little bit of clarity as to maybe where my life would head next. You know, just let, and it was a process, you know, it took me a while to start putting pieces together and really figuring out what it is I wanted. Because I don't think I really ever asked myself that. It's like, what do I want? You know, what do I actually want? What makes me happy? What lights me up? What do I enjoy doing? So it was definitely a process of, you know, waking up and starting to put the puzzle pieces together of what I wanted, what I liked, getting curious about what worked for me and didn't work for me. And meeting new people, you know, trying to connect with other people who are on the same journey. And I discovered coaching. You know, that was something that I discovered. I didn't even know what life coaching was. I remember working with this gal who I saw her on social media. I think it was on Facebook. We had met at a, a retreat in Tulum, a yoga retreat. And I lost track of her for a couple of years after that retreat. And then she resurfaced on Facebook and she just looked radiant. And it wasn't that she was thinner or that she had made her hair a different color or anything in particular, but she just had this glow about her. And I was like, what is that? And I reached out to her and I said, what is going on with you? Because whatever it is, I want it. And she's like, well, I've, you know, I've turned a corner in my, my life. I figured a lot of things out. I, she, she actually had become a coach herself and I didn't know what that was. So I opted to, you know, just do a free session with her. And during that 45 minute session, I walked away with more insight into what was up with me than I had in the previous three years of searching or four years of searching on my own through various books and that. So I decided to work with her. And through that process, that kind of helped me realize that, you know, I've always kind of had this ability to talk to people and give non-judgmental advice and, you know, be able to listen and really, you know, hear what someone is saying and just let them be heard and create that space for them. So that was when I kind of decided to get into coaching. But one of the biggest hurdles, though, that I overcame was some of my body image issues, because that was a huge thorn in my side. I had an old, a boyfriend back in high school that really solidified that big girl thing for me. He said to me, he made a song around my body. He's like, and he was just joking. He's like, Julie's got a big old butt. I said, what? Julie's got a big old butt. And I'm like, what? I was mortified. But I laughed, though, because that's kind of part of my defense mechanism <laughs> is to laugh when I really want to cry. And, and so I, like I said, I'd always had this body image issue. So it determined how I dressed, how I covered up, how I didn't show much of anything of my body for years and years. And so it was, I, you know, I had gotten into, you know, working out being healthy and, you know, taking better care of my body, but I still had this vision of what my body was. And it was still something that I didn't accept or love. Almost like a distorted vision. Like suddenly you were this huge person where you're Probably not quite, but never were. You were just taller and bigger than some of the more petite, thin things that are out there. And when we don't love ourselves, we see that negatively. And that's all we look at, isn't it? In the mirror, we stand there and look at it and go, God, look at the size of my butt, my thighs, whatever it is. And we just can't see the person. No, we just stand there and try and wish it away. It's like, I wish I had, you know, this or that. Like I said, I've always, I've always been a big, tall girl. And I, you know, had very strong legs and thighs. I played a lot of sports when I was in school growing up. And, you know, it was just, I was just a, a bigger girl. 
And so, like I said, I had, I had been, you know, doing what I can to take care of my body, you know, in my you know late forties, early fifties. And it was really right around my 50th, right before my 50th birthday that I started feeling that I think that number 50 is just so daunting. And I think it's, you know, in, at least here in the States, you know, that, that birthday, that's when they, you know, they put out the black balloons, the over the hill birthday cards come out, you know, 50 is like this old age to many people. And uh, thinking about it now, I'm 55 now, but it's like, that's not old. That's not old at all. But at the same time, I was feeling old and I was saying, I'm an old lady now. I started saying that and I said it a lot and I was jokingly saying it, but it was actually how I felt. Yes. And I think that that's what happens then, isn't it? That we reinforce those messages. I mean, black balloons is just simply horrifying, but it's also how we then get portrayed in the media, in society. Given that some people, some of us are going to live exactly the same amount of years on, you know, 50 plus, that's pretty shocking to condemn us to sort of a semi-death. I know. And it, and it really does, you know, I like to think that, you know, it didn't affect me, but it really did affect me, you know, that number for some reason. And it wasn't until a girlfriend of mine pointed out that I was saying that I'm an old lady a lot, that I actually became aware that I was in fact saying it a lot. And so I decided right then and there, I'm going to edit that out of my conversations with other people. And I'm also going to edit it out of the conversations with myself. And I got to tell you, over the next couple of weeks, intentionally not saying that and replacing it with other things like, you know, I feel great or anything else that I could think of instead of that, I truly felt much more energized and alive. And because, you know, so much of, I don't know how, how much you're into manifestation, but so much of manifestation is what we say about ourselves. Oh, yes. You know, what you think and what you say, you become. 100%. So it was around that time, you know, that I was going to the gym and I had a girlfriend at the gym that we would talk occasionally, you know, when we were there at the same time. And she was always, you know, working out with this trainer and they were always just talking and talking and not doing any hard work. And so I didn't really pay much attention, but then I didn't see her for a few months. And then I was back in the gym at the same time she was, and her body looked completely different, like markedly different. And I was like, what are you doing? <laughs> What's going on? And she says, well, I'm training to be in a bikini competition. And I'm like, what? What's that? And a bikini body, I think is what it was called. And so I, you know, I was like, oh, okay, cool. You know, and then I, of course, um, I get out in the car after leaving the gym and I Google it and I see all these pictures of women in these really tiny bikinis standing on stages, you know, being judged. And I was like, oh, I mean, it really scared me. I was like, oh my God, that is like the scariest thing. And you know, what's so funny is that at the same time, it was exciting. And I know this sounds absolutely insane and crazy, but it was something that feeling of excitement and fear at the same time that I felt like for some reason, I felt like I've got to do this. I've got to do this. And it took me a, a, you know, a, another couple of days before I saw her. And I told her, I said, you know, does, can anyone, do, you know, is there an age limit? And she says, no, anybody can, uh, you know, 
can it enter at any age if you want to do this? And so I decided to do it. And so I trained and worked out with her trainer. And, you know, there was a special food plan, diet plan or whatever to, you know, to take into consideration because that is a process. But anyone can actually do it. I mean, it really is just a certain, you know, formula to, to do. But it was a lot of work. But I got to tell you, it's like I ended up entering myself into a competition and it was actually in October. I turned 50 in February and in October of that year, I walked out on October 15th. <laughs> I'll never forget. It. I walked out in my hot pink bikini onto the stage with a fake tan on the whole nine yards under bright lights, shaking like a leaf. And I did it to be judged. And I, you know, I, I didn't invite anybody. I think my sister and my, her husband and my partner were there. That was it. I didn't invite anyone else because that was just for me. And I got to tell you, I, I thought I was going to die, but I didn't die. <laughs> and it was one of the most powerful things I have ever done for myself to look back and say, I did that. I did that after I turned 50 years old. And then as icing on the cake, because I, you know, I didn't actually win anything. And then my competitive side kicked in. I decided that I wanted to do another one the next year. So I kind of did my best to maintain. And then the following December of the next year, I entered one at 51 years old and I won every single division that I entered in. And then I was done. <laughs> I love that. I mean, that is that is powerful. And so much as that is obviously the training and the diet, but it's also that belief, wasn't it, that, you know, you could do this. And that was it. And for you who'd always been kind of in that other space, and I'm sure so many listeners think, oh, you know, I hate my body. I look like this. I look like that. But just your story, Julie, is is one of mind over matter, mind over our own thoughts, our negativity, and that you did it the first time, wow, but that you just pushed on and did it the second time and won every every aspect of it is just simply mind-blowing. Do you, and I'll have to ask, did you wear the same pink bikini two years in a row? Yes, I did. Yes, because they're, those bikinis, you have to have them made. And so they're not cheap. You know, So I think I spent, I don't know, three or $400 on that bikini. And I thought, well, I'm probably not going to do this. It's not going to become a career for me. So I thought I'll just use the same one. And it was in a different location and a different crowd too. So I thought no one's going to see me except for my partner and my sister who were there again. But it was such a, an incredible experience. And I'll tell you what, one of the most rewarding parts of that second one in particular was I was able to mingle with a lot of the people who were in the audience. And, you know, cause after the first one, I just wanted to run and hide, even though I had done it, I was like, okay, let's go. But after the second one, I hung around and I chatted with some of the people who had come up to talk with the people who were in the program. And two women came up to me who were in their, I would say late fifties, both of them. And they both said, you are such an inspiration to us. I got to tell you, it, it, it brought tears to my eyes because I, I knew exactly how they felt because I had been there. I know exactly how that feels to think, wow, you know, is this something I could do? You know, is it something I could do? You doubt it, then you question yourself, but then you finally do it. It really is amazing. So having those women give me that feedback were, was just 
but that made it all worthwhile, 100%. Oh, that sounds so wonderful. And I mean, I'm not sure I'd be brave enough, and I don't think we even have them here, but but that sort of mind, that your mindset could be in the space. And did it really kickstart or drive on the coaching career? It did. And, and it also did other things for me too. And I'll share what that is. It's like, it, obviously it changed my body forever. You know, I learned things about my body that I never thought were possible before, like how important it is to lift weights. Because I really wasn't that heavily into lifting weights and heavy weights at that. Because I always thought as a big girl, I don't want to lift weights and get bigger, right? Because that's the myth is that we think by lifting heavier weights, you build bulk, but that's not the case. You build bulk with heavier weights and higher intake of calories. Those guys that are these big muscle heads, they eat three, 4,000 calories a day. Oh, yes. And, and, and a few things we'd rather not eat with it as well, you know, sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not a healthy way of, of living, but I learned so much about my body. And I learned, especially the year in between the, the two competitions, because you can't maintain that diet for a full year. You can't. It's just a few months to change, you know, your body, but it's not something that's sustainable. But I did learn that I can trust my body. I know that sounds crazy, but I started really learning how to listen to what my body was asking me. Because I think I, because I hyper-focused on my body for those competitions, it really led me to connecting with my body better than I have ever done in my life before that. And as a result, I learned so many things about what foods work for me versus what don't, what foods give me energy, what foods don't, how much I can eat or, you know, how much I, you know, or just really feeling those feelings of hunger and satiation Whereas I didn't really check in with those before. Just a lot of different things. And I re it really led me to connecting deeply with my body and learning how to listen to the cues of my body. And I didn't know that this is actually called, I mean, you probably already know, it's called intuitive eating. But I didn't know it. And I had been on the yo-yo diet cycle for all the years prior to that, you know, losing the same 20 to 25 or sometimes 30 pounds every you know, couple of years because I would go up and down and wait. And I had a closet of clothes that were two or three sizes that, you know, arranged not go up and down and up and down. And it was always, you know, I, I couldn't trust myself or trust my body. But that doing that competition really helped me to learn how to connect more deeply with my body. And honestly, I have not dieted since. No, and that's the amazing thing with intuitive eating. It, it's incredible. It's incredible because we start to realize that we can be 80% full, if I'm right, Julie. We can. Sometimes we're not hungry. We're actually thirsty. Yeah, 100%. Or, you know, or, or we're hungry for life and not necessarily food. You know, that's where the emotional eating comes in. And it's, you know, when we're upset or whatever that is. And, and it's, it really helped me to stumble upon something else that I have really embraced and become so passionate about. And it's something now that I actually work with my clients on. You know, it was something that just came naturally to me through my own journey but now it's something that I actually teach to my clients is how to really connect deeply with your body and learn how to give it what it means, mind, body, and spirit. And that's what I love doing. 
setting women free. I mean, because the diet culture, dieting doesn't work. And the diet community knows that. That's why it's a billion dollar industry. You know, you can only fool your body for so long. But I'm, I really believe that we all have a genetic blueprint size of our body, weight, whatever, based on your, your, your bone size, your muscle mass, your height, all of that. Your shoe size is a blueprint and so is your body size. So that's what I really help women get back to is that blueprint size. And the thing is, is that it's not a two month fix or it's, you know, it's a, it's, if, it, if you've been struggling for 30 or 40 years with diet, uh, yo-yoing and all of that, then if it takes you a year or 18 months to really deeply connect with your body to set yourself free for the next 20 or 30 years, isn't that worth it? I mean, that's what I love. Well, it should be. It definitely should be. I, I think I read somewhere that women had been on something like 60, 60 diets in a lifetime because they go on one and does work, then they try another one and it doesn't work. And as you said, this industry is a billion dollars. It is, and they know it's going to fail. They know you're going to put back the weight you lost. You're going to go back to your blueprint size a lot of the time. And I can bear testament to that. I did a lot of training. I wouldn't say I dieted, but I did a, lo a lot of sort of changing everything. And I lost a lot of weight, like I dropped like a stone. But guess what? My body went back to this weight that it's been now for five, six, seven years. I don't know. And it just keeps coming back to that weight. It doesn't matter what happens. I can lose a bit, gain a bit, and it comes back. And I'm, I'm you know, I'm around that 63 kilo mark all the time. I mean, it can go either side a little bit, you know, Christmas and maybe we've got, maybe we've got a few COVID kilos right now, but it goes back. It likes to be a certain weight because that's clearly where it's comfortable. And you're so right that, that all the rest of it is just punishing ourselves. Yes. And depriving and making ourselves wrong. And, you know, one of the things that I found though, that is, and it really, this brings us kind of full circle to that whole people pleaser thing that we started with is that I realized that the reason why I had never really been able to connect with my body like I did during that is because I wasn't ever in that position before because I'd done a lot of work on myself. I was already coaching by then. So I had learned to make myself a priority in my life, whereas I never had done that before. And that is, that is one of the keys that I see is missing with so many women. It's like they won't take the time, the energy, and the focus to do it just for themselves. That's the problem because they don't think they're worth the time, the energy, and the focus. And that's the shift that we have to make. Yes. And that, so that's always back to the mindset because the diet itself isn't, they don't really teach mindset. They're working on eat less or eat these weird things or do this strange stuff. And you're right. So often women are doing this because someone said something to them, like that nice boyfriend of yours are not so nice <laughs> or that, you know, we're trying to get a new partner or we want to get into a dress because we want to look this way for somebody else. And we're like, wow, if we just did this to be, I don't know, healthier, to feel the energy of life, wouldn't that be better? Yeah, just because you want to see for me, I call myself a feel good junkie. I don't think we mentioned that, but that is one of the things that I talk about with my clients all the time. It's like, 
if you just go after feeling good, because there's no, no denying, everyone knows what it is like to feel good, right? And the thing is, is that if you just do things in your life to, for, with that intention in mind, I want to feel good, then that will drive decisions around how much you sleep, how much or what you eat. Because if you're really honest with yourself, eating that burger and fries or that pizza does not make you feel good an hour later or and two hours later, or you know what I mean? It may be in the moment, but if you're truthful about how does that really make you feel after it don't, you don't feel good. But I mean, that feeling good as a North star I have found is one of the keys. It's like, if you just really want to feel good, then do things that make you feel good. Exactly. Whether that is, like you said, resting, eating something that is going to not bring up guilt feelings, even though I had to ice cream an hour ago, but I felt so good about that. That was the, the ice cream treat. Yeah, because that was just like, it's the most beautiful day and we're here in the car because we're picking stuff up and we went, oh, what the hell? You know, but it's like, yeah, you don't feel good if you have that extra glass of wine because everybody else is or all the things we do because somebody else kind of wants us to or we're we're hanging in there to be part of the crowd or whatever it is we regret it i mean sometimes we have to eat bergen fries because we're on the road and it's like nothing else well okay that's okay we make that compromise but we're choosing that but i think you're right how many times don't we do things or don't do and i think that's one of the other things i can you know i think every mother can relate to maybe desperately wanting something but wanting the child to have it instead instead of saying look we don't have the money or we can only have two small ice creams you know each but I can't give you the big one we go oh no no it's all right you have it that's the opposite that's almost that the opposite instead of doing it we're denying yeah absolutely and that's the thing it's like whatever whatever you resist persists whatever you deny you want more right and it, you know, it's, it's, it's about stopping making food the enemy or, you know, food is fuel for your body. And like you said, to your point, you know, sometimes all you can eat because you have to eat is a burger because you're out traveling or whatever that is. It's like, so when you're having that burger, enjoy it. You know, food is meant to be savored and enjoyed. And, you know, a big thing that I teach is just, you know, eating and not being distracted. Just sit down and give yourself, even if it's five or seven minutes, just to be present with the food and eat it and taste it and feel the texture in your mouth and feel it go down your throat. I mean, all of those things. And then you're so much better at checking to say, have I had enough? Yeah, have I had enough? You know, because then you're present. You're there. You're not thinking about what's on the television or Netflix, because there's so much on there, you never watch it in a lifetime. I mean, <laughs> or you're checking your emails or checking your phone or whatever that is. It's like, just be with the food. Give yourself just the five or seven minutes just to eat. And that is such a huge shift. I mean, so many women just doing that. It's, it's, it's a huge shift. Yeah. So many women are eating on the run, skipping breakfast, grabbing coffee and muffins or you know, and I had a client and she came to me and she was very unwell. And really, she was unwell. And then when we started to unpick it, she didn't eat all day. And then she fueled herself on a load of coffees and then had one meal with her children. And it kind of didn't realize that that was so damaging that she just never made any time to eat. 
So she'd ended up with a problem with her thyroid, which was clearly related to this. And then she thought that giving up coffee was the answer. And I was like, no, you're actually hungry. Your body needs fuel on a regular basis so your brain can function. So, you know, you can wind out. And I, I think it was the first time I'd ever encountered that. But then as I've talked to more women and to other coaches, I began to realize there are an awful lot of women that are doing this, running on a kind of empty. And that's a sense of low esteem, low self-love and care. Yeah. I mean, and that's the thing. It's like they're so disconnected from their body that they they've told their body, no, later, no, later, no, later. And the thing is, is that eventually our, our bodies win because they come up and they slap us upside the head with something really major. And then you have to pay attention. But now you're in, you know, triage, right? You're, you're having to, you know, stop the bleeding, stop the, you know, I mean, it's crazy, but it's like, if, if we can just slow down and give ourselves just a little bit of care and attention, we can start listening in and figuring out because our bodies are so wise that that's actually my biggest vision is to help women learn to trust them, trust in themselves, trust in the wisdom of their bodies. Cause I can't tell you how many women who I've talked to them about intuitive eating. They're like, but if I just listen to my body, I'll just eat ice cream and burgers and fries and pizza all day long. I'm like, no, you won't. No, you won't. Your body won't, your body won't, you won't do that. You'll suddenly go, oh, a piece of fruit would be nice. Or if you do have like a, a muffin or a donut, you might go, actually, half would be enough or a little piece would be enough. And then I can just put the bit away for later. And you notice that when you do that, you know, I sometimes sometimes go, okay, I'm going to have a cookie. And then I turn around and I give half of it to the dogs. <laughs> because I didn't really want the whole cookie and they were there sitting there looking, pleading at us. I'm like, okay. Well, you know, that's the thing too. It's like, you know, we just have to, I, you know, I'm always teaching, you know, just small improvements, you know, I, I think too, it's like, when you think about going on a diet, it's like this all or nothing mindset. It's like, I have to be perfect or I've fallen off the wagon and that's the end of the story. It's like, no, just, you know, maybe an improvement for, you know, like one of my clients, I was like, maybe an improvement for you is you put the ice cream in a bowl versus eating it out of the container. I mean, that's a win. That is a change. It's a shift. It's an improvement, you know I mean? And I, you know, just little baby steps, because again, you've got to look at the big picture the long haul. If you really want to create massive change, you have to be willing to take the time to put those things in place. But it's so, and one of the most rewarding things though, is to hear from a client that I, you know, worked with about a year ago, who is still going strong and she's down, I think 30 pounds now over the course of a year. But still, I mean, to lose 30 pounds in a year is a healthy way of losing weight rather than 30 pounds in a couple of months. I mean, it's just not sustainable. It's not sustainable. And I think that's been fueled by the biggest loser type approaches and celebrity trainers and, you know, get, you know, it all looks so exciting, but it, your body's not adjusting at that stage. It's in crisis mode. Yes. Right. You can fool. And that's the thing. So many women romanticize that first diet. Oh, I remember when I did the cabbage soup diet, I lost 25 pounds in five weeks. I can't believe. And I just can't get my body to do that again. It's like, yeah, because your body figured it out. <laughs> Our bodies are so smart. <laughs> it's like you can fool me once, but you can't. That's why the same diet never works again, because your body's just figuring out how to 
survive, right? Absolutely. So you're really just about intuitive eating. Do you have any particular foods that you encourage people to eat or is it just eating intuitively but but healthily? I mean, I think it, I think the thing is, is what I what I know, and you probably know this too, is that people don't need more information about what to eat. They know what to eat. You know, they're, I mean, fruits, vegetables, proteins, and fats, healthy fats. You know, I mean, it's it's all over the internet, all over. The, you know, there's so much information out there, but it's it's basically, you know, more veggies, some protein, some fruits. Pay attention to, obviously, try and eat more whole foods and not a lot of processed foods. But I mean, that's not anything new. No, I think that's what my grandma had. Yeah, exactly. I mean, so it's like, it, it's, it's, I found that they don't need more information about what to eat because they know. They already have the knowledge. They just have, they have to decide to step into, they have to have a strong enough reason why they're doing it. It's like, what are you doing this for? What, what, I mean, and, and, you, and it has to be like for me, and I'll share this with you. It's like, I want to feel as good as I can for as long as I can so that I can enjoy life for as long as I can, you know, and always be able to pull up my own pants. I always say that too. <laughs> you know, I mean, I think so. I thought I had a, I, the sort of thing was, and I can still go to the bathroom by myself. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but I mean, it's like, I want to, I want to be able to not have any limitations, you know, up until the, the very end. I want to be happy, healthy, dead, just like uh, Abraham Hicks says, you know, happy, healthy, dead. And I think that's very possible. And, you know, so I try and get the women I work with excited about what it is that they actually want so that it can be something that they can go back to. It's like, even if it's just like, I want to be able to pick up and enjoy my grandchildren. True. That's a huge motivation, Julie, for a lot of women. You know, the thought that we could get down on the floor and play with our grandchildren, that we can go for a walk, that we can, you know, just enjoy normal stuff without feeling that we hate ourselves, loathe our bodies, or that we're in some way not capable of doing that because we haven't cared and loved for ourselves enough. Yeah. So to not be in pain, to not feel stiff, to feel fluid and be able to move with ease and comfort and enjoy life. You know, I mean, that's really what I'm all about. And it's like, it doesn't mean that you have to completely, you know, shift everything in your life tomorrow, but just start shifting one little thing at a time. And before you know it, you're going to feel great. And you're going to wonder why you didn't live this way forever. Yep. And that, they think that intuitive eating becomes a gateway to changing other aspects of your life. A hundred percent. You know, again, I think it starts with the mindset around, you know, you are worth it. You know, you are worth the time, the energy and the focus it takes to be able to do this, to be able to give yourself this focus. They think, I think the beautiful thing about intuitive eating is that it doesn't take a tremendous amount of energy to do it. No, you just literally, you start. Yeah, I understand that because it's a diet feels like a whole. Strange food eating habits can be very confronting. Yeah. And, they, and diets don't take into consideration what your preferences are for food, right? What your preferences are. And so it's like, you know, only you know when you're hungry or when you're not only knew you know what it is you feel like eating right now and you know i i you know i just help women to 
to get into it, it just kind of creates something that you can do for the rest of your life. You know, something that you can actually create some sort of program that you can do for the rest of your life because it's fluid. It's not strict, but it keeps you on the path to health and wellness. And it helps you to ultimately release weight forever. And that's what I'm all about. Because if you if you're just looking to lose weight, then you're going to find it. If you make the agreement with yourself that you're releasing this weight, that means that you no longer have any use for it. So that's a big, that's another big shift, but it's all part of it. It's just really feeling into it. But anyways, I, I think you can hear, I'm excited about this stuff. I love this stuff. And I just, I want to shout it from the mountaintops and free as many women as I can. (laughs) Absolutely love that. Julie, your passion is so infectious. And there is so many women out there thinking, yes, I can do this. How do they get in touch with you, work with you? Well, I think probably the best way to connect with me right off the bat, because I put a lot of love and attention into my growing Facebook community. I just started it at the end of last year because I wanted to serve more people. I do a lot of trainings in there. It's called the Confident Women's Community. And it is a private group, but if they come to it, I'll allow them in. And I would love to have them join me there. I also, of course, have, I'm on Instagram and Facebook as well. My business name is called itsabouttimebaby.com. That's my website. And they can go on there and find a number of freebies. I have a quiz on there. You know, you can decide, you can figure out whether or not you're truly a priority in your life. I have a People Pleasers Anonymous thing in there to help get you started out of the pattern of people pleasing and a few other things. So that and... I'm also on Clubhouse. I don't know if anyone else is doing that these days, but that's something that I've really fallen in love with. And I'm on there. My handle is at about time Julie on Clubhouse. So that's that's all the good ways to connect with me. That is beautiful. Julie, we're going to put that in the show notes. I want to thank you for coming on the podcast, for sharing passion, enthusiasm, and your own amazing journey that's led you to do this work. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's been an absolute joy and thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you have loved or liked this episode, then I would be deeply grateful if you would head over to iTunes and give it a five-star rating. My mission is to reach as many women as possible, menopausal midlife women who may be feeling alone and asking questions why do I feel this way? Thriving Through Menopause is all about a community and our collective wisdom. You matter to me. Your feedback, opinions and stories matter to me. And I would love to hear from you. So drop me an email, clarissa at clarissachristensen.com. I genuinely want your feedback and your ideas on the topics that you would like to hear more of on this podcast. And if you are a woman who feels that they are struggling alone through menopause and you need more support, pop over to my website, clarissachristiansen.com. You can find free resources and you can book a one-to-one discovery call with me. Let's start conversation. Thank you once again for listening. Save big money at Menards. 
Let the fresh air in and keep the bugs out with replacement screen for your doors and windows from AdForce. It's easy to install, durable against the elements, and comes in a variety of types to suit your needs. Repair your screens today with a roll of replacement screen on sale through May 5th. And check out more great deals happening now in our weekly flyer on Menards.com. Save 